this on? Yeah. Okay. So, um, looking at Mark two, eighteen through twenty-two. I'll just read it. This is from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. It says, "Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do you, why do John's disciples?'" And the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast. Is this coming on and off? Okay. Okay. Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on the, an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Uh, otherwise, the wine will burst, the skins and the wine is lost as well as the, the, the... will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Okay, just talk loud. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, um, so I was intrigued when um, I saw that Steele had assigned me a passage uh, about that was dealing with fasting. And I wasn't sure whether that just came randomly or if you, <laughs> if you specifically picked me out for it. But anyway, um, I obviously have an interest in or not obvious to everyone, but I, I do wellness and um, have an interest in this topic related to the wellness work. And um, fasting, as many of you know, has become quite a fad these days. And for, for many years, fasting was virtually absent from the wellness world. It was just confined to the sort of alternative weird side. But now it's become mainstream, it's become a fad. And so everyone's talking about, for example, intermittent fasting. Um, so that would be fasting for part of every day. What a, what a novel concept in our, our culture. So you might eat for a 12-hour period and then fast for a 12-hour period of each day. Or 16-8 fasting would be eating. For example, you might delay breakfast, eat at, say, first at 10 o'clock, have your last meal at 6 p.m., and then not eat for the rest of the time. And then there's even a 23-1 fast where you basically eat one meal a day or you eat for one hour of each day. And that harkens back to the, the monks under St. Benedict. The St. Benedict rule, they would eat just one meal a day. But interestingly and very consistent with our topic today is that fasting fits our design. So it's much more than a fad. It's a very good thing to do. Physically, I'll say. We'll look at spiritually in a minute. So, so our bodies are made to burn both sugar and fat for energy. But for most of us, most all of us in this culture, we only burn sugar. And our, our uh, standard American diet has, has uh, put us in that position whereby if we, um, if we fast for as long as four hours, most of us, of us become what they call hangry. <laughs> um, and, and all of our most 
or not all, that's an exaggeration, most of our most common diseases result from this. And the, the a central example would be type 2 diabetes. So, so fasting, therefore, can be a major step in correcting this and developing what we call metabolic flexibility. So metabolic flexibility is where your body is able to readily switch from burning sugar to burning fat. And the, another interesting thing with fasting is it helps our body shed toxins and it helps our body digest old worn out cell parts. It's something called autophagy. So it's self-eating. So the body has these little uh, Pac-Man things in the cells called phagosomes and they, they come in and if a, if, a, if a mitochondria, which is the little cell power unit, has, has sort of died or gotten worn out, they'll eat that up digest its parts and repurpose it for new mitochondria. And one more fascinating thing is that our muscles are protected during a fast. So our body secretes growth hormone and also has other mechanisms whereby our muscles aren't eaten up and digested during a fast. So I would say that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. But what about the spiritual benefits? <clears throat> so again, fasting has very clear physical benefits, but one question for today is, is fasting a valid New Covenant discipline? And then how does this passage speak to that? Well, here, like, like in so much of the book of Mark, and I've really come in taking some time with the book of Mark to appreciate it much more, but it's just, it seems to be a series of little dramas, if you will. And it's just wonderful the way Mark portrays in very succinct ways these little, these little stories that are happening. And so to set the stage, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And so how, how strange to put these two together. Uh, you know, John the Baptist pulled no punches with the Pharisees. So when they showed up to the Jordan uh, when he was baptizing people, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Yet they did have a few things in common. So they were, they were both Orthodox Jews, if that's the right way to describe it, but practicing Jews. They both were pursuing holiness vigorously. They were both living within the Old Covenant. But, but John was heralding the arrival of the kingdom of heaven obediently giving his life to prepare the way of the Lord, while the Pharisees were stringently seeking to preserve their way of life. They were envious of Jesus, blind to his veiled glory, ultimately seeking to kill him. And both of them had followers who were fasting. So it says that, it says that people... And again, this is Mark's just succinct way. He says, people came to him with a question. Well, in the parallel passage in Matthew, it makes it clear that these were John's disciples that came to him and asked the question. And then the other aspect that's interesting is we've just had the story that, that Stephen preached about last week of Jesus calling Matthew, or, or Levi in this version, but calling Matthew, the tax collector, and then going to his house for a meal, and there the Pharisees were, or the scribes of the Pharisees, scrutinizing Jesus and looking to criticize him. And basically saying, or, or at least thinking, why are you dining with sinners and tax collectors? 
And so it would seem that the, the same situation is going on here. He's still at that mill. And again, that's made more clear in the Matthew passage. And, it, it, and it's not hard to imagine that they are sort of egging on the disciples of John the Baptist. Hey, why, why, aren't, why aren't Jesus' disciples fasting? Why, why don't you find out? <laughs> so they, they come up and ask him. And they say, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus answers in a very interesting way, as he is wont to do. Um, but he starts with a practical reason. And then he goes to more of a, a, a bit of a deeper theological reason. But he cloaks both of these answers in metaphor, you could say imagery. So he has sort of a, it would be, it's sort of a parable. And he's basically giving an answer for those that have ears to hear. So he portrays himself as a bridegroom and his disciples as the wedding guest. Um, and so, so fasting, fasting in this culture is mostly for lament, for mourning, for penance. And so it doesn't fit in the context of a wedding celebration. And that's something everyone there would have understood. And so Jesus, in a bit, of a, a bit more of a veiled way, or more subtle way, you could say, is comparing himself to God, whom the prophets called the bridegroom of Israel. And so, so Jesus has now come in the flesh to unite his people to himself. He's the bridegroom, and it's time for celebrating. It's not time for fasting. But, he says, he'll be taken away from them at some point, and then they will fast. So, so he leaves, ultimately leaves the door open for fasting, but, but imagine that it will be somehow different. It will be a different kind of fast. And so Jesus now gives a deeper theological reason that he doesn't engage in fasting. And, he, well, let's say this. He gives a deeper theological reason that he doesn't engage in the fasting or that his disciples don't in the fasting of John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples. And that's that he's bringing something new. So, so it's, this is represented by, by new cloth and new wine. So he says, you can't sew a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. If you do that, the cloth will, when you wash it, it will shrink and it will tear a worse hole than before. You can't put new wine in, in old wineskins, right? Because they're sort of dried up and such. And when the wine ferments, it will expand. It will burst the wineskins and both the wine and the wineskins will be destroyed. So he says, new vessels are required. So, so what in the world is Jesus referring to with these, this new wine? The, uh, what, what is it? Is it obvious to you? I would think I would th say in part, definitely, yeah. Um, I think the new vessel would be more than that, but uh, yeah. So he's he's he's. It's the new, it's the good news of the kingdom. So it's his coming death, as he said, it's his coming death, it's his coming death for our sins and resurrection from the dead. It's that he's going to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. And it's that he's going to bring his followers into union with him, his holy bride, the church. It's really every blessing and promise of the new covenant 
is the new wine. And then the old wineskins, okay. So really, I would say the old wineskins, in a sense, are the, the old system. <laughs> it would be the old, the, really the entire way, Jewish way of relating to God. So here, it's represented by fasting. But it's also the law, the priest, the temple, the sacrifices, circumcision, Sabbath, etc., and so this new wine doesn't go into old wineskins. And again, if you think about in the, the, in the book of Galatians, the Judaizers in the Galatian church were seeking to impose the law upon the believers. So they, again, they were seeking to do exactly that, put new wine into old wineskins. And of course, Paul was very angry about that. But, okay, now, but it's noted... So again, you think about fasting. This is what's sort of interesting, this transition here with fasting. So fasting is being practiced in a way that it is old wineskins. But Jesus indicates that it will continue. So again, he says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So, so what, do, what do new wineskins have in common with old wineskins? Well, it's really, it's not to be overly obvious, but it's that they're both wineskins. But here's the point. Jesus is not abolishing and replacing the old system. He is fulfilling and renewing it. And he makes that most clear in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, so this new law is one of relationships. Think about, um, and, and it, it's, it's about relationships in the sense that the prophets talked about and predicted. So Micah 6, 8, very familiar passage. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what is the new priesthood in that, in that regard? This priesthood of all believers, right? So that we all are made to have direct contact. We can go directly to the throne of grace by Jesus Christ. The new temple is what? It's, it's the new heart. He, he's the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to live inside of us. He's going to be united with us. What's the new sacrifice? Again, you could say present your body as a living sacrifice. So, so practice is being so, so fasting rather is being practiced in the old system such that it's an old wineskin. So then there must be a new way to fast. Right? There must be a new way to, to couch fasting, if you will. So what is the new fasting? So again, just, just to again contrast it for a moment with the old way. So if you think about Again, fasting in the Old Testament was primarily about penance, mourning, seeking God's help in crisis. Now, again, don't, and again, don't think that it's all portrayed as in any way hypocritical or bad. It's, you see the fast of the wonderful prophets like Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra. Um, you, you really see that they're fasting in a way that is... That is beautiful, that's calling God's presence. 
but, but in this age, in the age that Jesus is dealing with, it has morphed into a sort of a superficial, hypocritical rite. So, so apparently it was a common practice among the Pharisees to, to amplify their sacrifice, if you will. To, they, they, they're, we're miserable for God and we want you to know it, right? Aren't we great? <laughs> and I would say that maybe John's disciples were getting into some of that same kind of thing. And so Jesus confronted this in Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Okay, so I, so I started off talking about the physical benefits of fasting. So again, just to reiterate some of that. So, so your body eats its old cell parts, and from that material produces new ones. And again, fasting provokes that. Toxins are eliminated from your body. You lose excess fat and thus lose, um, thus reduce the inflammation in your body. Your body produces growth hormone. You gain what we call metabolic flexibility. And you could say, in other words, your body renews itself toward functioning like it was intended or better created to function. So how does this cohere with Jesus' new wine? Well, Jesus is bringing a teaching of grace and mercy, joyful obedience, abundant life in him. Okay, so, so again, think about it. Our bodies are designed to go without food for prolonged periods of time, yet we're slaves to our appetites. We can't, we can't and don't do that. So if you think about it, even from a physical point of view, fasting is bringing freedom, renewal, energy, mental clarity, and really, like all sound wellness practices, it's good stewardship of the body. And so I would say the new fasting, and again, in a spiritual sense, is feasting on Christ. And you just have to consider Jesus' example. And remember, Jesus, they didn't, say, they didn't say, Jesus, why don't you fast? He, he did fast. They said, why don't your disciples fast? Remember Jesus in the desert fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that, he says, and he was hungry. <laughs> so Satan sought to use that as an opportunity. He said, if you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. And Jesus, of course, answered, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And consider Jesus also in John 4. Remember, they've been on a long journey. He's exhausted. They get to Jacob's well, and he waits there. The disciples go into town after food, and he's talking to the woman at the well. And when the disciples come back, um, they see that he, that he hasn't eaten, and, uh, and they think, well, he must be famished, and they say, Rabbi, eat. <laughs> and he basically says, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> So Jesus has a vision. He sees the fields white for harvest, and that's his food, right, to do the will of the Father who sent him. And then there's this wonderful chapter, John 6, wonderful and strange, you could say, where, where Jesus um, feeds all the people that are following him out into the wilderness. Uh, he feeds them with the, with the, by multiplying the loaves. And, of course, they, they liked that. 
They wanted to make him king. They, they, want, they thought he would be a king of, of convenience for them. Ample food, freedom from the Romans, their own rule, etc. And so, of course, they're then, <laughs> they're coming after him, and he sort of sneaks away during the night. And that next morning, they're looking for him, and they, they go over the Sea of Galilee and find him. And they say, say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answers, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He says, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And then later he says, and he's going through, you know what he does in this chapter is he. He's at pains to purge his followers that are, that are nominal, that aren't really seeking him. And so he keeps, he keeps going deeper, and he finally says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And of course, then so many of them are aghast, and they, they leave. You know. He says, truly I tell you that anyone who, who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, so, so the new fasting is dining on, on Christ. I just want you to think about, we really, we could talk a lot more, and we should at some point, about just the discipline of fasting and and the beauty of it and the practice of it and such. And then all the different things it brings. But that's, but what I just want to lay out there today is that that fasting is not some weird thing like self-flagellation. It's not some kind of penance where you're trying to make yourself, you're trying to beat yourself into righteousness. But rather, again, it's feasting on Christ. It's a joyous celebration. So that's why it's a vessel for new wine. And I just want to close with reading a couple of uh, quotes. Um, this book, a wonderful book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. I'd recommend that everyone read it. Um, uh, but uh, Beth, Stephen, and Steele all had him as a, as, as a uh, professor at Southern but this is, uh, I, I just think this from David Brainerd, even though it's in some sort of older language, it just illustrates well the, the beauty of fasting. Um, it says that he, uh, he set apart a whole day for fasting, uh, for prayer and fasting to God. And so he says, I felt a power of intercession for precious immortal souls for the advancement of the kingdom of my dear Lord and Savior in the world and with all a most sweet resignation and even consolation and joy in the thoughts of suffering hardships, distresses, even death itself, and the promotion of it. I enjoyed great sweetness in communion with my dear Savior. I think I never in my life felt such an entire weediness from this world and so much, re- and so much resigned to God in everything. So, so fasting, again, I just want to say that Fasting is a way to take away that fundamental satisfaction in food or or like the followers of Jesus, their satisfaction in bread and make us deeply hunger for Christ. 
All right. Well, let me. Um, we will have a. We'll have lunch and um, let me. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we will eat. Yes, and let me read a, a benediction here out of uh, out of Revelation. It says this is Revelation uh, twenty two twenty and twenty one. He who testifies about these things says, "Yes, I am coming soon." Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Y'all, I hope that some of these chairs back around the tables will set up so we can.